This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Swinburne Astronomy Online, the world's longest-running online astronomy degree program. Visit astronomy.swin.edu.au for more information. Astronomy Cast, episode 293 for Monday, February 11th, 2013. Earthquakes. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. My name is Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today, and with me is Dr. Pamela Gay, a professor at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville, and the director of CosmoQuest.org. Hey, Pamela, how's it going? It's going well. How's it going with you, Fraser? It's going really well. Now, unfortunately, through the sort of madness of space and time, we are recording this before we leave for South by Southwest, but by the time it gets into your feed, it will be after... So I hope we had fun. Yes, yes. And and I hope you got a chance to meet us and see us and say hi to us. So that's very confusing. Yes. Uh, wibbly wobbly timey wimey, right? I'm not that kind of a doctor. <laughs> not that kind of a doctor, no. No, you're an astrophysicist. We're pretty close, though. I'm sure if you had a TARDIS, you could figure it out. All right, so let's get right to the show then. This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Eighth Light, Inc., Eighth Light is an agile software development company. They craft beautiful applications that are durable and reliable. Eighth Light provides disciplined software leadership on demand and shares its expertise to make your project better. For more information, visit them online at www.eighthlight.com. Just remember, that's www.thlight.com. Drop them a note. Eighth light. Software is their craft. So we always say that the universe is trying to kill you, but actually the Earth isn't so fond of you either. Certain parts of the planet Earth are prone to earthquakes where the, earth, where the planet's shifting plates can cause the ground to shake violently. We've had a few devastating earthquakes in recent years, but do they also happen on other worlds? Uh, have you ever been in an earthquake, Pamela? I've been in earthquakes of sizes that make you consider whether or not you need to stand in your driveway, but that haven't caused damage more significant than cracks in the walls. But I've, I've experienced a steady stream of earthquakes in all sorts of different places on the planet. So I live on Vancouver Island, which is uh, one of the most earthquake-prone places on Earth. Really? And oh yeah, yeah. No, we have we we share the same fault pretty much as California. So okay. we're on the ring of fire, and we get really pretty bad earthquakes here. Um, and yeah, so I've been in a, I've been in a few already. Uh, one was pretty nerve-wracking. I was in a tall office building in Vancouver, oh, no. and the earthquake was going, and the, it was ended up being about five and a half, I think. Yeah. On the I was, well, yes, we'll get to the scale. Um, but the whole building was was creaking. You could hear the girders inside the building creaking back and forth. So it was kind of like, ee, 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 you know, wow. while you're, yeah, it was it was nerve wracking. And then the other one that happened, this actually happened just a couple of months ago, and I didn't feel it, but there was like a really big, like a 7.9 that was a, a few hundred kilometers from where I live in okay. the uh, Queen Charlotte Islands. Yeah, and so that was big, but fortunately it hit a pretty unpopulated area and so nobody wow. was nobody was hurt but but yeah so we actually and we're expecting the big one and so we have tsunami warning sort of systems all over the place and wow. uh, you know our kids teach i had to write a letter this is really sad i had to write a letter to my children about how if there was an earthquake that i you know mommy and daddy love you very much and we're going to try and come and find you but you know help other people so you have to write a sad letter to your children 
while they wait for and this is like on file with your school system yeah yeah so they give it to the kids so they have it ready to go for the kids it's they have their letter that i'm going to come and help them out if you know if there's an earthquake and we can't reach each other so yeah yeah so we live in earthquake central yeah we earthquake country here on vancouver island and cougar country but that's a whole other story you know, we have both those things here as well, but we we're missing the tsunami part. And that that's one of the things that people don't realize is you don't have to be on one of the big plate boundaries that everyone thinks of to experience earthquakes. And here in Illinois, we have the San, San Madres Fault, which uh, is responsible for destroying the city of St. Louis back in the 1800s. And it periodically lets off some moderate-sized earthquakes, and they're waiting for the next one that reflattens St. Louis, and we just don't know when that's going to happen either. So, uh, yeah, we have the cougars. My university mascot is, in fact, the cougar. Um, and... Uh, Ironically, the first year that I lived here, my husband went on a business trip in California, and prior to leaving, he said he hoped he didn't experience an earthquake while out there. And I woke up in the middle of the night and went to kick the dog for scratching on the bed and making the bed shake and realized the dog was not on the bed and it was an earthquake. And I had this moment of, well, I grew up in California. I know I'm supposed to go stand in a doorway, but I'm in a 120-year-old house on top of two nice Tempur-Pedic mattress and box spring sets. And if the house is going to collapse, I'm probably better where I am on top yeah. of the foamy stuff. And so I just sort of stayed place. Sleepy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, so then let's, let's sort of go back then and, and get to the geology lesson part of this, uh, <laughs> this actual show, the science that everybody's waiting for. Science. And, and, and yeah. And so like, what is an earthquake? It, it at the end of the day is the planet Earth or whatever world it's occurring on releasing pent up elastic energy that uh, as as the plates of the, the planet move, they build up stress in a variety of different ways. Um, sometimes the stress is actually magma welling up from underneath and it cracks the surface. Sometimes it's two plates moving beside one another and friction stops them from moving, but they're trying to move. And if, if you've ever tried to bust open a stuck nut, you know that you're pushing on the wrench, pushing on the wrench, and all of a sudden it goes. And, and then well, you the make your... Your uh, knuckles bloody as you... Exactly. Yeah. And the planet does that too. And the planet sometimes makes more than just your knuckles bloody. And that's one of the unfortunate things with releasing this amount of energy. Now, you said it's a release of elastic energy, but I wouldn't imagine rock to be elastic. Um, I, I think it's because we're used to thinking of rocks as this nice little thing that we use to build walls, to to bash things when we're too lazy to go find a hammer and we're small children. But but the reality is they're they're just another substance, no different than a cement wall or a piece of granite that you can press and press and press, and it will only give so much before it breaks. And even granite will give a little bit before it breaks. And it's that amount of giving that that's the elastic energy getting stored up in the system. And so then, you know, I know that, I mean, I always do this experiment, you know, with kids to show them how the earthquakes work is you like you push your hands together really hard and then you try to move your hands one way or the other and your your hands move in these kind of fits and starts. Yeah. yeah and that's that that elastic energy that's being released in these just in these quick um, jolts. And, and the majority of the energy doesn't go into the earthquake. The majority of the energy gets released in heating up of the systems in in uh, things that that 
are, are less destructive in some ways, you might say. But what's really terrifying is the bulk of the energy isn't released in the earthquake, if you start to think about it. Right. I know that like with the, um, the Indonesian earthquake and the recent one in Chile, uh, Haiti. It, Haiti, I mean, there was a tremendous amount of, of energy that was released. And they always describe it in like, you know, gigatons of, of, you know, nuclear weaponry. Right. And then they calculate how much the Earth's planet's rotation changes. It, it's a change in the moment of inertia as the planet. Um, it, it, this, this is one of those things that we forget to, to realize is we are essentially a liquid-filled ball. And, and one neat experiment that you can do is, is take three cans of soup, empty one out and eat it, keep the other one nice and friendly liquid, and freeze the other one and make sure it's something like chili that won't cause the can to deform because of the water expanding. You now have three objects, one solid, one liquid, one empty. Roll them down a slope and they're going to roll at different rates because they have a different moment of inertia. This is the same effect as an ice skater goes faster when they pull their arms in and slows down as they put their arms out. Those are different moments of inertia. This means the mass is distributed in a different way. Well, if you physically move where the solid rocky stuff floating on top of the magma is on the surface of the planet, that's the equivalent of moving how your hands holding, in this case, weights, are located held away from your center. So this changes how the planet rotates, just like, well, freezing and thawing that can of soup changes how it rolls down that inclined plate. Now, I know that there are different kinds of, I guess, different kinds of plate interactions that can lead to these different kinds of earthquakes, right? Right. And, so, and then, then there's other events too, like volcanism and, and even just like some random events. So, so let's talk about like what are the underlying causes? What, what will get you an earthquake? <laughs> well, so, so the things that will get you an earthquake, um, it, it basically boils down to you have plates that are either slipping beside one another one is going up or it's going down. Um, so so those are the basic geometries. You have subduction going in. You have also things get created and they well apart. Um, so you have in the center of the ocean, we don't luckily experience this one on land very much. You have the plates moving apart and even moving apart with the magma welling up, that still is things moving and creating tectonic energy. Yeah, it, it's things moving, and as they move, they have to either go up, go sideways, or go under. Those, those are basically the choices you've got. And you've got this situation, right, where they're where they're not moving just smoothly. The plates no. aren't just sliding against each other really smoothly. They're really just kind of going in fits and starts. Right. And the longer it's taken to move, then often the, the sort of worse the earthquake is going to be. Right. And and. Depending on how the waves get to you, you also experience them in different ways. Um, anyone who's been through multiple earthquakes, you, you may have started to notice that sometimes it's just like everything suddenly goes kaboom, and you're not sure if it was a sonic boom or an earthquake. Sometimes you'll sit there and feel like a really large semi-truck or train just keeps going and going and going and going past where you are. This is if you watched any of the videos from the Japanese earthquake where they actually had this continuous rumbling motion. That's what ours feel like. Yeah. And, and 
what you experience depends on the geology of the land that you are on top of and where you are relative to the originating source of the earthquake. When, when these events happen, they, they send waves propagating through the planet. And one form of these waves, the pressure waves, the P waves, these, these work just like sound waves moving through the atmosphere or moving through water or ground, where it's basically a compression wave that moves through the ground and, and jolts things as it goes. This is a very fast-moving wave. This is actually the wave that when your dog starts going off prior to the earthquake, uh, starting to make things shake in a noticeable wave, what your dog is keying in on is that P wave that is moving fast, getting to you first. And the P waves, they, they can go through through all different types of materials. They're going to propagate through water. They're going to propagate through land. They're going to get you no matter where you are. Right. That, that's one kind of wave. Now, in addition to that, we have S waves. These are um, up and down waves. So the way to think of these two is if you take a slinky, and, and I should have found a slinky prior to this episode, um, if you send a wave that makes the rings in the slinky get closer and further away as it moves through the slinky, that's a P wave. An S wave is where you move the ends up and down, and you end up with the slinky uh, forming a series of side-to-side S's turned on their side that are all interconnected. This is your sine wave essentially moving through. This requires a rocky body. This requires soil. So this requires something solid that the S wave is going to move through. So we can actually map planets using earthquakes by looking to see when does the P wave arrive? Does the S wave arrive? Um, and it's, it's by combining this information that we're able to figure out where inside of planets do you have the liquids, where do you have the solids that allow the S waves to transmit as well. So in an earthquake, will we feel both of those waves? Will we feel the P wave and feel the S wave? You may not feel the P wave. You'll definitely feel the S wave. But it's, it's actually one additional type of wave. It's, it's the, the surface waves that cause the, the massive damage. So you have the P waves and the S waves that are traveling underground. And then the surface waves, this is kind of the planetary equivalent of taking a sheet and shaking the edge and seeing this single wave go rippling across the top of the surface. There, there's a lot of particle movement that's lateral that causes this to happen in addition to the up and down that gets experienced. And this is where all of, of the damage ends up occurring. Um, you also end up with particle motions where you end up um, underneath this eddy with these rolling motions of the particles underneath as everything essentially gets flipped around and rearranged. And so, you now you mentioned briefly about how the uh, how earthquakes are used to actually, I mean, not just as a, sort of a dangerous natural disaster, but actually scientists use them to probe the interior of the Earth. So what's the, right. what's going on there? Um, and it's it's not just the Earth that we've done this with. We've actually actively tried to do this with the Moon. Uh, so what's happening is we have all over the surface of our world a series of seismic detectors. In some cases, these are detectors that are set up to monitor uh, earthquake zones because uh, since, since earthquake waves do, well, as many of us know, move slower than the speed of Twitter, uh, these, these move at... at fairly reasonable speed such that if there's an earthquake in Los Angeles that goes off, you have time to, well, contact people that are tens to hundreds of miles away and say, earthquake. 
So we have monitoring stations set up. These are also used to sound uh, tsunami warning alerts. And uh, Japan has a series of networks that will actually send off alarms when an earthquake is set is sensed somewhere so that people have that chance to get under their desk before the earthquake hits where they are. We also have detectors that are used to monitor for things um, more mundane and in some ways more dangerous, such as nuclear explosions. A nuclear explosion under the ground will trigger a, a characteristic set of seismic waves to move through the planet. Uh, so we watch and monitor nations like North Korea using, well, the artificially generated uh, seismic activity that they create when they test weapons. We also monitor volcanoes this way. It's when you put all this data together, you map the inside of the planet. Right, but and, and I guess specifically, right, you get this situation where the waves move at different speeds or different refraction angles through these the different layers in the Earth. And right. that's how you can probe where they are. Right, so the, the P waves, they're going to move through everything, and they're going to move at a set speed. So just like we can use the speed of light to figure out when did this event go off off the surface of the planet based on Boston sees it first and uh, Cape Town sees it later. Well, that means that the light had to travel. Um, let's assume that it's not actually like something like neutrinos that will travel through the planet. So say you're detecting neutrinos from a gamma ray from a gamma ray burst. If you detect them in Boston first and then Cape Town later, you know which one of those two places was physically closer to the source. Well, we can do the same thing with seismic detectors. Whoever detects it first is closer, and by having these spread all across the surface of the planet, you can measure all the different travel times and pinpoint the location um, of the epicenter of the earthquake. So now, as, as I sort of mentioned at the beginning of the show, we're going to talk about how this is actually a common feature on on many objects in the solar system. So, you know, what are some other places in the solar system where scientists have detected some kind of like motion? I, the the primary place that we've we've detected these things is is the moon. We we dumped some uh, seismic detectors on the moon. They're not working anymore, but but they were there. And we, we basically weren't so much detecting tectonic motion in the moon. We weren't detecting volcanism. The moon is dead. But we were detecting when the moon got clobbered by small rocks falling from the sky. Oh, really? So you're actually able, you know, you're, yeah. a moon quake is the moon getting hit by some object somewhere on its surface. And, and we were able to detect the, the meteor uh, explosion over Russia from from seismic detectors as well. Uh, yeah, you hit the planet and it rings like a bell. You hit the moon and it rings. And just like you can determine the geometry of a bell from how it rings, you can determine the geology of a planet or a moon from how it rings. Now, is there you know do you know is there any earthquakes on Mars? Mars quakes? So far as we know, Mars is also seismically dead. Um, in the past, clearly, it had all sorts of interesting activity. Look at the volcanoes that it has on it. Uh, but nowadays, were we to set up a seismic system, as far as we know, and this may not be entirely accurate, we're always learning new things. As far as we know, uh, Mars is for the most part seismically dead, and we wouldn't expect to detect anything except from impact events. But we, you know, I know that scientists are still not even sure when Olympus Mons shut right. down. Right. And so you, right. And so you could have a situation that could even have another eruption. So we don't really know how long it's it's been. And so there could be 
quakes near the near Olympus Mons if there is well, something it, moving underneath? It, more more than likely, uh, Olympic Mons is is part of the volcano chain that is from a series of different hot spots that had the volcanoes erupt above them, just like the islands of Hawaii are a series of hot spots that, that formed islands above them. And as the plate moves, the hot spot wells up new islands. Um, so what we're actually seeing is on one side of the Hawaiian islands, new islands that are bright and sharp and poking up out of the ocean. And on the other side, ones that are more weathered and starting their decay back into the ocean. On, on Mars, there's a chance that we could get, if it is still active, a new crack in the surface that outgasses and oozes however it will. It's, it's unlikely, given all of the information that we currently have on it, that we're going to see a new giant, well, Mons, new giant volcano form. Um, but there's always the potential for outgassing, and that might explain some of the methane detections that we have had on this little world. Now, when I think of the poster child for volcanism, I think of Io. Yes. So would there be earthquakes on Io? I, I think they'd be called Ioquakes. Ioquakes, of course. Yeah, moonquakes, Marsquakes, and, and Ioquakes. And, and these are going to be magma, magmatic eruptions, which is always fun to try and say, uh, caused by this constant upwelling of, of lava from inside this very molten, very... Uh, torqued planet that's currently undergoing just tidal forces that are ever-changing, squishing its system like a squishy ball, like a stress ball. And as, as that magma comes up, it's, it's not a smooth and easy process. Anyone who lives in Iceland has experienced this for themselves. If, if you watch the seismic monitors in Iceland, you see a whole variety of different activities that vary from uh, just normal tectonic activities. The plate that is split in the middle of Iceland moves apart. Uh, but you also see lots of magmatic activity as different chambers fill, move, uh, new chambers fill. Um, and it's that magmatic activity that you'd also see on Io. But I, I mean, there isn't a lot of solid ground or a lot of places you'd really want to stand on Io. Probably without getting, not. Without getting rock <laughs> raining back down on top of you from these, from these volcanoes. So you would, yeah, it would be a pretty dangerous place. You would, I think earthquakes would be one of the last things you'd be worried about. I, it, it's probably a lot like Hawaii. Luckily, lava is not that fast moving with shield volcanoes that aren't in an explosive eruption. So if you're not at the very top, you, you generally have a chance to, to watch the, the lava flow around you. Now, this doesn't mean that there haven't been lots of tourists in Hawaii who haven't done things like go where they shouldn't and realize they're on the last piece of land that isn't lava and they're thus cut off and have to get rescued with helicopters. Um, but it is the type of process that an alert scientist uh, could observe an eruption without death. Right, right. Now, I wonder about <laughs> other kinds of of medium, you know, other kinds of media, like, like you know, it's rock on Earth and magma and such on, on Io. But what about a place that's got a lot of cryovolcanism, like a place like... Like, Enceladus. Uh, yeah, Enceladus. Yeah, Enceladus. Or, or even like how Europa has just these... It's almost like they got plate tectonics, but it's ice, right? Big shifting. It, it is. It's hydraulic activity, uh, yeah. much like is experienced with glaciers. So just like you can detect glacier movement in in seismographs, uh, you'd expect on Europa, 
it's it's even um, more fundamental to how the the geology of the system changes, where you have this hydraulically driven motion with upwelling of hot water that that actually circulates the surface at a certain level, as well as all the gravitational tidal forces that are that the system's undergoing. Um, all of this acts to cause uh, neat banding cracks, uh, all sorts of interesting spiral formations. Um, it's, it's very complicated, and people are still working to try and figure this out, but you definitely do get the stress and strain in the system that leads to slip faulting a lot like you see here on Earth. Yeah, you can almost imagine like that it would be equivalent to like crossing you know glaciers here on earth yes. and 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 that you know if you weren't careful chasms open up and and you'd get these you know as these movements happen you'd get these sort of dangerous conditions i think yes. it would actually be a pretty scary place to hang out on the surface of in in general the time scales that things happen uh are low enough that mm. that you're good as long as you're not standing right at the place that decides at a given moment to move and and those high stress places are usually identifiable now do you think that there's i know places like venus which is very similar to earth in terms of size and mass and yeah. composition do you think venus experiences any any earthquakes and i'm going to just keep calling them earthquakes i'm not going to call them venus quakes they're earthquakes <laughs> if it's if it's the ground it's an earthquake quake even seismic if activity yeah seismic uh, activity right so so venus is one of these worlds that we're still trying to figure out and it likes to perplex us because it's under this thick cloud layer of of deadly toxic stuff um but this opaque toxic fumes that, that covered the planet and clouds uh, make it very hard for us to, to get the same level of geologic understanding that we get from looking at Mars and the moon. We have done radar imaging of the surface of, of Venus. Uh, the Magellan Space Probe did this. And as near as we can tell, it does have volcanoes and it has a very young surface. It doesn't have the amount of cratering that we'd expect um, from a non-evolving surface. And this has led some to speculate that every once in a while, all of the heat that is built up inside of Venus, because they didn't see any uh, reason to believe that there were plates on Venus. Uh, the idea is that perhaps Venus every once in a while has this massive, essentially upwelling across its entire surface where the heat builds up, the heat builds up, the heat builds up, and then the entire surface basically gets resurfaced in a massive outburst of volcanic activity and tectonic activity. So it just like turns itself inside out? Yes. In, in, in what kind of a time frame? Unclear. It, it's Unclear. not short. It, it would be at the order of magnitude million time year. Yeah. But but still, that would be an yeah. unpleasant place. To, it was already yes. unpleasant to be hanging out on. It Not would make it there. even. That would really take it to the hell, you know, scape. Yes. <laughs> right. Now, I guess one last question for you is, do you think that were there more earthquakes? Are there more earthquakes now? Or were there, would there have been more earthquakes on the Earth in the past? That That's always one of those interesting questions where different people have different ideas. and And the reason that they have different ideas is because as our planet cools, just like every other cooling body in our solar system, the seismic activity is, is going to get less and less. Um, it's unlikely that there's going to be a massive volcanic outburst again, like was experienced in Siberia um, many, many million years ago. 
And this is in part just because our planet is settling out. But this is happening at the millions of years time scale. So do we experience less earthquakes than were probably experienced by plankton that first occupied the oceans and got slushed onto land in tsunamis? Probably. Do we experience fewer earthquakes than early man? Probably not. Um, it's just we've gotten lucky in recent history and anyone who's living in in Haiti or Armenia or China or or Chile or any of these places that have had these magnitude seven or nine like was experienced in Japan earthquakes they're thinking lucky but the reality is that what happened in Japan they were built and constructed for the earthquake it was the tsunami that was the issue but Anywhere on the planet, we can have a massive slip. And cities like New York, they've done recent simulations and found that that city will collapse if there's a magnitude 7 earthquake. Wow. So we really do need to worry about complacency, about places that aren't prepared to be statistically unlucky. We need to be better about building for earthquakes everywhere that we build. And that costs money, so it doesn't happen. And this is a true concern moving forward. Yeah, we have pretty tight uh, building constraints here on on Vancouver Island and in Vancouver as well. It's yeah. you know it's very similar to the Japanese standards. And actually, a building that I was in got completely rebuilt for earthquake standards, and it was quite yeah. impressive with cables and and new uh, sort, of, sort of skeletal structure inside the building to to protect it. And so, yeah. you know, and in here, for example, where I live, it's all wooden houses. Like you would not live in a brick house. That would be madness. And and where I get concerned is when I was an undergraduate at Michigan State, we had a moderate earthquake, like the type that makes you go, did I really experience that? And as a result of it, there there were cracks between the wings of the dorm I lived in and the main part of the building. And they had problems with the brick outer shell to the building started peeling away and they had to do emergency construction to shore up the ability of the brick to stay attached wow. to the dorm building. So that was an earthquake at the level of, I'm not sure I experienced that, but it was Michigan. We weren't prepared. Yeah. Yeah, we get those quite a bit. We get those probably every couple of months of right. like a just like, you know, is that me having a panic attack or is that an earthquake? So <laughs> right, is that, right. Is that a cat? Is that a cat, you know, scratching itself or is that an earthquake? So um yeah. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Pamela, and we'll talk to you next week. It's it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Astronomy Cast, a nonprofit resource provided by Astrosphere New Media Association, Fraser Kane, and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can find show notes and transcripts for every episode at astronomycast.com. You can email us at info at astronomycast.com. Tweet us at astronomycast. Like us on Facebook or circle us on Google+. We record our show live on Google+, every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, or 2000 Greenwich Mean Time. If you miss the live event, you can always catch up over at cosmoquest.org. If you enjoy Astronomy Cast, why not give us a donation? It helps us pay for bandwidth, transcripts, and show notes. Just click the donate link on the website. All donations are tax deductible for U.S. residents. You can support the show for free, too. Write a review or recommend us to your friends. Every little bit helps. Click support the show on our website to see some suggestions. To subscribe to the show, point your podcatching software at astronomycast.com slash podcast.xml. 
or subscribe directly from iTunes. Our music is provided by Travis Searle, and the show is edited by Preston Gibson.